Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious I'm about. Curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships can evolve with people evolve as they grow and change? Grow and change? Our fantasies, we don't pick them. We don't choose our kinks. And if we don't make friends with them, they become psychological preoccupations. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Nislam. And today, we're talking about BDSM and kink, both the shame that exists around them, as well as their ability to heal. Kink and BDSM are becoming more and more popular as more and more people are talking about them. There are Netflix shows, Instagram accounts, and kink-inspired fashion on the runways. But there's also still a ton of shame and stigma attached to having desires that are considered to be outside the norm, whatever that means. Although kink can not only be fun and exciting, but also nourishing, affirming, and healing, these stigmas can still make it hard to even start a conversation about it with our partners. So we were curious, what are some of the ways we can overcome these limitations, lean into curiosity to discover how kink can expand our sexual expression and provide a new level of connection with our partner or partners and even heal our traumas? To help us explore this, we spoke to... I'm Rena Martine. I'm a women's intimacy coach and former sex crimes prosecutor. During her 14 years as a Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney, Rena specialized in sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic violence cases. It was through this experience that Rena was able to see the impact that social stigma and shame had on the survivors of sexual assault. As an intimacy coach, educator, TEDx speaker, and author, she now focuses her work on helping women love their bodies, experience deep intimacy, and have great sex, shame-free. As always, we started at the top. We asked Rena what she thinks kink is. So I like to think of kink as the umbrella term. That's anything outside uh, vanilla. And let's define vanilla for a second here, because some people think vanilla means boring. No, vanilla does not mean boring. It just means not kinky. So vanilla is anything that's kind of on the standard menu of what you would expect in terms of sexual practices. And what's considered to be vanilla changes over time as we, as a society, start to become more familiar with, with different sexual practices. So kink is just really anything outside traditional desires and fantasies, um, outside the vanilla box. And, and it could even be anything outside the, the monogamous box too. Mm. So anything that's kind of bucking the trend of what you would expect to be on offer, say, if you go out on a first date with somebody who you met on a conventional dating app, that's mm. the way I like to look at it. So that would be kink, the broader umbrella term. Mm -hmm. Under that, we have BDSM. Mm -hmm. And so let's go through all the different letters in there. 
the B stands for bondage. Bondage, what does that mean? Bondage just means being restrained and having your senses restrained in some way. So that can be getting tied up, right? It can also just be having a blindfold on. That's a form of bondage because your your vision is being impaired. It can be using handcuffs. Any sort of restraint would be bondage. The D stands for two things. It can either mean discipline or domination. So discipline, meaning some sort of impact play, for example. You've been a little naughty, so you're getting a spanking. Domination, which which I'll touch on a little bit more, is a power differential between two people. So one person is acting as the submissive, the other is acting as, as the dominant, is perhaps get, giving orders, leading the scene in some way, um, really the shot caller in the bedroom. And so S, we kind of pivot into that. S can stand for submission. So being the one on the receiving end, consensually, of course, of the domination, of being told what to do, of surrendering and just experiencing the sensations and the pleasure. It can also stand for for sadism. So sadism and masochism, which are, are S and M, refers to either a desire to inflict pain or a desire to receive pain. And there's a very wide spectrum when it comes to that. And obviously, we can go into what that looks like. But but that is BDSM, essentially. And a lot of folks I've found have practiced BDSM without even realizing it. So, so I like to say, you know, have you ever been spanked or spanked a partner? Have you ever worn a blindfold? Have you ever called someone daddy in the bedroom? okay, you have practiced BDSM, even though you may not be thinking of it in those terms. This doesn't have to involve whips and chains and 50 shades of gray and all of those things, right? It can just be really anything that involves some sort of power differential between the two people. Could we say that, I mean, there is a school of thought that says there's always a power dynamic in sex. Ooh, yes. So are we all kinky by default and we're just not talking about it? Right. I mean, and, and I think it's uh, Lena Dune of Ask a Sub who, who says something to that effect, mm-hmm. right? There's always a power dynamic and it's up to us whether we want to acknowledge it and call mm-hmm. it what it is. I mean, yes and no. I think with, within the purview of BDSM, it's a pre-negotiated power dynamic. Mm-hmm. So you're not going into this wondering who's going to take control in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, generally speaking, if we're talking about vanilla sex, maybe somebody's more the one in control. Maybe one person is initiating. And so we would perceive that as being some level of power exchange. But the key difference to me is that within BDSM, there's typically a lot of talking that goes on beforehand. Mm-hmm. So that you can clearly establish what those rules are, what the boundaries are, what the safe words are. And, and safe word would be any word or term or hand gesture that you give to that indicates, okay, stop scene. Kind of like the director, cut. <laughs> and those aren't typically conversations that we're having in vanilla land necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be the big difference. And also within any BDSM scene, there's typically going to be some element of play there. There's a pretend 
that tends to to happen where you understand that as a submissive, for example, I'm giving up, I'm choosing to give up control in this scenario, but then I get it back at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes in non-kinky relationships, yes, there is a power exchange in the bedroom, but it could be that there's actually a huge power differential in the relationship itself. Mm. And, and that, that distinguishes, um, you know, this kind of default power differential that, that could lead to, you know, an abusive relationship between one where we've pre-negotiated those roles and expectations for one another. So what you shared earlier around that folks may be engaged in kinky behavior without even knowing it. So if you've bought some furry handcuffs for Valentine's Day or have done some role play in the bedroom, right, that, that you may have been engaging in those things, yet there is there is real stigma around identifying as having a kink. And so I'm interested in that around why do you think that it is for people to accept either their kinks or the kinks of their partners? I mean, up until just a few decades ago, it was considered mentally deviant mm. to be into BDSM. I mean, this was included within the DSM, DSM which is, it's yeah. funny, right? BDSM and DSM. And there, especially if we look to cues that we get from mainstream media and entertainment, I'll, I'll talk about Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, because mm-hmm. that was the number one selling book of the last decade. I mean, let that sink in. But... um that and movies like Secretary, what we find is that the protagonist, the the person who's into BDSM, that they've had some sort of traumatic experience that explains why they're into it, which tends to perpetuate this myth that, okay, even though we're not calling this a mental disorder anymore, it's coming from some sort of abuse. Mm. It's coming from some sort of trauma. And the research and data simply does not support that. When we look at folks who are into BDSM, they make up a representative cross-section of our society. There is no link between living with mental illness or surviving sexual trauma and your interest in BDSM. There is no scientifically based link between those two. I want to make that very, very clear. But if you were getting all your information from movies like Fifty Shades of Grey, you would think, oh God, this person must be kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. When in fact, that that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, that's super interesting. Do you think that shame comes into play with that? That sex is often sh- is a source of shame, right? Where we're shamed for having sexuality, for having desire, for for choosing to explore erotically. Do you think that... Um, this also has an impact on, you know, kink and BDSM because it is an exploration. It's like you get a kind of a whole pass for the vanilla stuff and maybe you find a way to navigate around shame because you're staying within the the, the prescriptive lines and maybe you're like, oh, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to, just going to like nudge my around shame. But when you're going into kink land, then there is no way to nudge that and there's no way to to dodge that. Yeah. I mean, shame shows up in so many ways when it comes to not just BDSM, but, but kink, which can include sexual fantasies that don't necessarily involve a power dynamic. And gosh, (laughs) Pandora's box, shame, shame is kind of the, the line of work and, and how I approach my coaching, right? Shame Mm -hmm. is the big thing for me. So shame 
can look like, say we're talking about women, shame can look like, oh my gosh, I am such this powerful, assertive, badass bitch in my day-to-day life. What is wrong with me that I want somebody to kind of push me around and tell me what to do in the bedroom? And so what I say to those folks is it actually makes perfect sense why you would want that. If we can look at our fantasies and understand that those reveal what our emotional needs are, if you are making decisions all day outside of the home, it makes sense that you're fantasizing about something different. Like, oh gosh, can someone just take control here? I'm sick of making all, right? (laughs) I'm sick of making all these decisions. Say you are a sexual assault survivor. And you have, I'm going to use the term rape fantasies and put in a huge asterisk near Mm -hmm. that because they're not actual rape fantasies, consensual non-consent, forced seduction. That that's the term that we use, but people will think of them as rape fantasies. So I'm going to start there. Those can be very, very troubling fantasies, especially if you have survived some sort of, of sexual assault. And I see when I teach classes on sexual fantasies and BDSM, that's normally the topic that no one raises their hand about, but they'll always send me a private message in the chat or send me a private message afterwards because it's troubling. Mm. It it can be very troubling for us. So in order to normalize that, um, I'm like you, Effie, I I like a lot of uh, data, science, research, and numbers is I tell folks, you know, well, actually 53% of women have fantasized about some some sort of forced seduction fantasy. So you're actually in the majority. And then I can go through and explain why having these fantasies can actually be a source of healing Mm. and healing the trauma that came along with the original sexual assault. So those are just a few ways that that shame shows up when it comes to kink or anything outside of the norm. And perhaps people have disclosed their kinks to folks in the past and received received a response coming from a place of judgment rather than a place of curiosity. Mm. And so that perpetuates this feeling like, oh, well, I can't talk about this because last time I did, my partner shunned me for it. So might as well stay quiet. And our fantasies, we don't pick them. We don't choose our kinks. And if we don't make friends with them, they become psychological preoccupations. They're they're bad for us if we don't make friends with them. So I always encourage people to get curious about the why behind the kink. What emotional need is that trying to meet? What are the ways I can meet that? And how can I start gently and safely making friends with that kink and and exploring it a little bit? You don't have to go dive right into it, but but I'm all about baby steps. And and so whatever that kink might be, I can give folks tools how to start gently exploring it. Can you share with us what some of these tools are? Like what are some of the basics that cuz our listeners we know that are explorers, right? We know they're curious yeah. sponge, they're explorers. I can guarantee there are people who are listening right now. They're saying, oh, oh, what are, what are those tools? I think I'm kinky. I want to explore. So what, yeah. what can we, what can we share with them? Sure. So uh, first and foremost, if you think you might be kinky, go take the BDSM test. 
bdsmtest.org. Go take that. If you are partnered, have your partner or partners take that too. And, you know, we love learning about ourselves. If you're sitting around and someone's reading their horoscope, the question you ask is, okay, what does mine say, right? Mm -hmm. We love those glimpses into our inner world. So take the test, figure out where you score on that and compare notes. Say you are unpartnered or you're looking for a new play partner and it comes back that you are super kinky based on those results. What I'll tell folks sometimes is, okay, take maybe the top five or 10 that show up on your results and put those into your dating profile. Perhaps not if you're using eHarmony in your match.com or some of the big ones, but say you're on Field, for example, which is the app I recommend most to people. Put those on there because a lot of folks think that they'll be able to have fulfilling sex lives and or they wonder, wow, why isn't sex super exciting for me? We dive a bit deeper and then we see, oh, it's because you're actually super fucking kinky and you never knew it. And then they can begin exploring that. So, so that I would say is number one. Take the test. If you're partnered, have your partner take the test. If you're single, put it front and center in terms of what you're looking for. But don't be afraid to say, you know, I'm, I'm a curious submissive. Mm-hmm. Like I'm new to this. I want to go into this slowly. Mm-hmm. So, okay, next step. Say you and your partner, you've both taken the test. You're, or the three of you, however many of you have taken this test. I don't want to be mononormative, mononormative here, but where do you go from here? Well, the easiest way to start introducing a gentle power exchange in the bedroom is with a sleep mask, like the kind you use to block out the light. That is so simple, innocuous. It's not as scary as bringing in floggers and and other kinds of hardware and use that to practice surrendering control. And then from there, you can explore different levels. Say, say you're curious about pain. You can start exploring different levels of pain just by using your hands before introducing any sort of pain implements. Say what turns you on isn't necessarily the pain, but being told what to do. You can tell your partner that. I, I've worked with women who'll do something as simple as send a text to their partner. Hey, tonight at this time, I will be in the bedroom and I want you to come take me. So you're giving advanced consent and letting this person know one, this is what I'm looking for. And two, you have permission to come in and do this. And so it it empowers both people. So those are some just general baseline tips I can start offering. Can obviously go deeper if if there's a specific kink that you want me to to break down into beats. But those tend to cover a lot of, of what people are curious about. I'm wondering if you can name some other kinks that you that may slide into your DMs and say, I think I'm the only one that X, because to Ooh. your point, I think people are feeling that. So, so let, yeah, if you can share out, what are some of the common things that you're hearing that you're saying, absolutely, you are not the only one? Yeah, I would say age play tends to be very troubling for people. 
And I don't get a lot of people who necessarily want to engage in like diaper play, for example, or one person's pretending to be a big baby and and is nonverbal and and that type of thing. I don't see that that often, not to say it doesn't exist. It is a perfectly normal kink. But this idea of wanting to be a good girl Mm -hmm. with some element of we're pretending that I'm younger than I actually am that can be very disturbing or alarming for people Mm. because no one wants to be perceived as engaging in something that could be seen as pedophilia, perhaps incest. And so we look below and say, what's the emotional need here? And normally what I tease out is this is a need to, to be taken care of. I want to be nurtured and held. I'm not looking for someone to to whip me and beat me. I want someone to take care of me and kind of introduce me to my body. There's that innocence component of it, Mm. which is I want to pretend like I don't know anything about my sexuality and then have this trusted person nurture me and explain it to me and help me explore it. So that would be a kink that people have a very hard time saying out loud. But once we can dive a bit deeper, it makes sense. And it doesn't seem quite as as creepy. And again, this is play. This is pretend. As Dan Savage says, this is cops and robbers for grownups with your pants off. We are pretending here. Same with, you know, the, the forced seduction or rape fantasies. Those are not actual sexual assaults. When you are pretending to be a child or somebody younger than you actually are, you are not engaging in any sort of illegal act. This is pretend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's such an important message. I think, I mean, that is why, you know, the, the language around this, like play scenes, play partners, play parties. And I think that, you know, we need to keep saying that to remind ourselves and everybody else that this is all pretend, this is all play for adults. And as long as you are dealing with consenting adults, all, you know, all is okay as long as it's safe, sane and consensual, right? That's, that's, yes. that's the way it goes. Allowing us to go to those places can actually be super healing. And, and I want to kind of ask you about that, that. How can kink be a healing modality? So many different ways. Let me start with this notion of opposite action. And I, I like to work in analogies. So I'm going to give you an analogy here, which is, say you got into a bad car accident on the freeway. You're driving on the freeway. You get into a bad car accident. Chances are the next time you get behind the wheel of a car, your body's not going to be too happy. Your brain is trying to protect you. So instead of getting right back on the freeway, perhaps what you would do is just get behind the wheel of the car, but don't go anywhere. And the next day, get behind the wheel of the car and maybe just drive around the block, right? And then the next time, get on the freeway, but just for one exit, et cetera, et cetera. So every time you are getting behind the wheel of the car and introducing opposite action, which is, hey, I got behind the wheel and nothing bad happened to me, you are creating new neural pathways, that say, oh, it's actually safe safe to drive. And when it comes to BDSM, say you have survived sexual trauma, 
what we can do is introduce this opposite action of, okay, there was a situation before where there was a power differential that I didn't consent to. And so how can I rewrite that in a way where now I am consenting to it and it it's now safe. And this can look, I've seen it happen both ways where the survivor of trauma assumes the more dominant role in the placing, which sends the opposite action that it rewrites the, the neural pathways to say, oh, actually I am allowed to be in control. Or they choose to be submissive and that's saying, okay, well, last time this happened or when this ha- when the traumatic event happens, I had no agency in that time. But this time I'm in the director's chair and I'm actually requesting that this be done to me. So that's one way in which it can be extremely healing. I've seen BDSM as a healing modality in action with a lot of my clients, especially those who suffered repeated sexual abuse as children and adolescents. It can be one of the quickest ways to put that trauma in its home in your brain and to rewrite that. And these are typically women who've done a lot of talk therapy, but it's the action. It's the doing. It's doing something different that your brain likes the most because that's what creates the deepest neural grooves there. But again, just with BDSM, even if we're not talking about extreme play and reenacting any sort of abuse here, just the level of communication that goes on outside of the bedroom to plan a scene, just doing that and having your yeses and your nos honored is healing because it's saying, wow, it's safe for me to be vulnerable. It's safe for me to share with people. When I say yes, it means something. When I say no, it means something. So as far as baby steps go, that is a huge baby step. It's just being able to talk about your wants, needs, and desires outside of the bedroom first with a person who's going to honor and respect those. That says the world isn't this terrible place. I can trust people again. Music to my ears. And I think it's very understated, underexplored that the kink is a a healing modality. And like you, I've seen it in play and I know it's super, super effective. I'm curious to whether, what can we share around how to make sure that it's not re-traumatizing, right? I can feel that there's a resistance to this idea of of kink being a healing modality because there's also a potential there to be re-traumatizing. And I'm wondering if you can speak to how can we make sure, especially with people that, you know, we care for and and, and are doing it as a part of their healing journey to make sure that we're not re-traumatizing anyone. So here's the thing is, is that we don't actually want to avoid our triggers. And the really the only way to heal from trauma is to confront our triggers and not avoid them. And so am I saying that you have to go from, okay, I survived a rape and now I want to reenact a rape? No, we want the baby steps in between. For example, I worked with a client who had suffered repeated abuse as a teenager with an authority figure in her life. And we started doing some self-guided G-rated touch. I like to say G-rated touch because I'm not guiding them to do any sort of masturbation, anything like that. 
And she found that she was getting triggered anytime she would touch her own legs because that's where her abuser would start, was always with her legs. Similarly, I had a client who was abused by a family member as a young person, and she had triggers around her stomach area and just her touching herself. She didn't want to be touched there. So what I had them do was create a practice. Okay. Every day for a week, I want you to gently start touching that part of your body. And if you completely shut down, that's okay. Stop and try again the next day. And over time, they were able to go a little bit longer and longer and longer and eventually send that new data that says, okay, this part of my body isn't off limits anymore. It's part of me. I'm safe in it. And actually, it kind of feels good to touch it. So if there's a way to begin taking these baby steps on your own, that's really effective in terms of knowing that you're getting triggered, but not wanting to re-traumatize. Again, we get into this bit of a paradox because you have to work through the trauma. You can't just avoid the triggers. You can't just say, okay, I'm never going to get behind the wheel of a car again. I mean, you could, but not in Los Angeles where I live. You, You can't really do that. So how can you begin to reintroduce micro things that are perhaps going to push right up against that trigger, but also let you know that you're safe. I worked with someone who, again, she had suffered repeated abuse by a family member. And that typically looked like him performing oral sex on her as a child. And as a result, she didn't want her now husband, who she loves and adores and has children with, she didn't want him to do that to her because it was triggering for her. But we negotiated some some role play for both of them to use. And she she loved it. I mean, she got really into it. I think she chose that to be the CEO and that he was an employee and she was inviting him in for his <laughs> annual review, <laughs> which is kind of funny because he does have a very high power job. And <laughs> and he loved it. He thought it was so fun. And then she began ordering him to pleasure her. And so that was how it started was her saying, okay, I'm going to tell you to start doing it. But she ultimately had the control and she could tell him to stop too. So yes, we don't want to avoid the triggers, but we want to gently ease into them. That's incredibly helpful. Are there resources that you can point folks to books, websites, kind of chat groups, in-person groups? I, I imagine based on the need, based on the kink, there's a, a bunch of different ways to, for people to go, but things that folks can start to explore either their kinks or healing or just find community. Yeah. I'll, I'll go back to Lena Dune to ask a sub. She has a fantastic uh, Patreon community that you can join. There's courses in there that you can take. Um, And and she makes it very accessible. That's kind of why she rose in popularity is because she was looking around online. It was like, everything seems really scary having to do with BDSM. It's all black and and kind of dark. And and she wanted to make it more approachable, accessible, and even fun and light. And so that's a good place to start. If you're curious to normalize your own sexual fantasies, I love the book, Tell Me What You Want by Justin Lay Miller. 
His sex and psychology podcast is also fantastic. If you are the survivor of sexual trauma and you're looking to bring more pleasure into your life, Reclaiming Pleasure by Holly Richmond is a great book that I recommend. I wish that I had more places to direct people when it comes to a neatly packaged resource on BDSM as a healing modality. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to touch that. Mm. I have a friend and colleague who's a PhD in trauma. She's a professor of it. She and I will teach workshops on BDSM as a healing modality. But to find literature that specifically addresses that is hard to do. It's scary for some people. Even people who've written books about recovering from sexual trauma, they will not write about that in those books. They will perhaps touch on it if they're doing a podcast interview, Mm -hmm. but people don't like to put their name down to something that's on its surface could be perceived as, oh my God, is this going to be re-traumatizing? How can you recommend to people that they reenact consensual non-consent if they're the victims of sexual assault? So in a way, there's almost a shaming and fear happening in the academic community that I see around this. Like no one wants to talk about this, but there's such an inherent value to doing it. And I'm hoping that will change. It's interesting. We just spoke to um, somebody who's doing research on sexual morality. And Mm -hmm. one of the things, one of the factors that causes us to moralize sex is what they're calling paraphilic behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And then within that, you know, it comes to paraphilia, meaning like different different things. And within that, the, the big highlights in that is like bestiality and pedophilia and those kind of things. And I was just curious because I, I suspected kink and fetish and BDSM falls into that group and she, and she confirmed, right? Yes. So, it, so that when we're thinking about sexuality, when we think about BDSM and kink, on some level, we're putting it all together with bestiality and incest and and pedophilia. So I can see why people won't want to touch it. If yeah. that's how we're grouping things, of course you don't want to touch it. We just don't realize it doesn't belong in the same, th- those things don't belong in the same box. Right. We're pathologizing something right. that is play. And, and I'm I'm glad you brought up bestiality because there is a whole realm of power dynamic and kink play that, that involves around pretending to be an animal like puppy play. And you know, these are, there are such safe ways Mm -hmm. to explore pretending to be something else. And as children, we did that a lot. Mm -hmm. We pretended a lot to be, you know, robbers or princesses or animals. Mm -hmm. And I think the world would be a much better place if we played more as adults mm-hmm. and, and we're able to pretend more too. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate the work that you're doing. Appreciate the resources that you shared. And I am going to, right after this, go on to bdsmtest.org and I'm going to take the, the test. I'm going to take the quiz. I'm going to send it out to my partners and, <laughs> and then we're going to have a conversation. Yeah. And if you need help uh, reading the tea leaves, as I like to say, feel free to hit me up. Um, I've read through a few hundred BDSM results at this point. So if you have any questions, I'm here to support you. Fantastic. Thank Thank you so much. For more from Rena Martine, you can visit her website, renamartine.com or on Instagram at underscore rena.martine underscore. If you'd like to listen to more episodes on kink, or read our blog posts on the subject, then go to our website, 
click on sex in the upper navigation and then on kink to explore all of our content. You can visit our website for a variety of topics under love, sex, and relationships. Just go to wearecuriousfoxes.com. And if you want to weigh in on this topic or connect with other Foxy listeners, then head to Facebook and join our Facebook group at We Are Curious Foxes. If you found this or any of our episodes interesting or helpful, then please share our podcast with a friend. Quickly rate the show, leave a comment, subscribe on Apple, follow us on Spotify or Stitcher. All of this is only going to take a few seconds of your time, but it will have a big impact for us. If you want to go a step further and support the show, then join us on Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes. You can find mini episodes, podcast extras that didn't make it to the show, and over 50 videos from educator-led workshops. Go to Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes. And finally, let us know that you're listening by sharing a comment, story, or question. You can email us or send us a voice memo to listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. This episode is produced by Effie Blue and Jacqueline Mesla, with help from Yamur Arkishin. Our editor is Nina Pollock. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox Podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind, and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.